Hey guys, and welcome back to another podcast on For Generations to Come, where I'm your host, Moesha Gray. And here we just break generational curses by sharing our experiences, wisdom, and most importantly, by giving love. All right, so today's podcast is going to be amazing and definitely very informative. Um, I wanted to take things to another level as far as exposing the reality of what our generation is dealing with or have dealt with. So today, I am really excited <laughs> that um, Naja inboxed me. So making sure I'm saying your name right. It's Naja, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm so glad you reached out to me because at first I was thinking of different ways to invite people on that have dealt with depression or anxiety, but I didn't want to just invite anyone on the course. I wanted someone who um really can share how they went through it like mostly details Mm -hmm. Um, I know I shared my story but I just wanted other people to hear other people's story because absolutely yeah when I did a poll on my insta story one day I asked people would it help if you heard someone else's story and literally 100 people 100 percent said yes Mm. so the fact that you came and inboxed me and you share all these tools that you have um, that just made me even more excited so I'm just going to let you introduce yourself to everyone and then you can go ahead and share your story if you want to thank you so much um well first of all thank you for having me on um my name is Naja um Alessi and I am a mental health advocate a writer and the founder of the Diamond Supper Club, which is a community-based private events that we do for the community. Um, and yeah, I shot uh, Moesha a DM and let her know, I love, I love, absolutely love what you're doing. Um, I would read your post and I was just touched. Like, wow, like she's so transparent and everything that she's saying is great. I want to see how we can work together. Um, I think it's always important to build community and to be able to share your stories with one another, because I think that that's how we grow. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm excited to to be here and just kind of share um, a little bit about my story um, with me. Um, my, my issue with depression or um, my relationship with depression, I'll put it that way, um, started last year. Um, I was, my brother was living with me and, uh, we were really close, really, really close. Um, probably as close as two siblings could be. And the last, uh, year that he was living with me, he decided he wanted to move away and he did. And he started struggling with depression really bad when he moved away and he came back and stayed with me for a little while and, um, his depression was getting worse. And so I was seeing firsthand how, sad and how sick he was but I really couldn't identify it I had really no idea exactly what it was I thought he would snap out of it which that's a common thing when you see a loved one going through something you think okay they're going to snap out of it they'll be fine um and he didn't snap out of it he ultimately ended up taking his own life and it was devastating to me and I tried to um navigate through that the best way I knew how but, you know, I'm growing up in a black household yes. and, you know, <laughs> with, with our household, it's kind of like, you know, just push through it. Just, um, you'll be fine. You don't need to see anybody. You don't need to do anything. You'll be good. So I kind of just pushed through it the way I pushed through a lot of the trials that I had in my life. Um, 
My life has not really ever been pain-free. I was raped when I was a teenager. I had two very abusive relationships. I actually had an ex that committed suicide um, when I was 17 years old. So my life has not been absence of pain. So I was just learning to push through things. So when this happened with my brother, I said, okay, I'm going to push through it. Um, This year is when all the grief and pain caught up to me. And so in April of 2018, um, I started experiencing panic attacks, um, feeling like I was going to die, feeling like I was having a heart attack. Um, It was really, really, really bad. I went to the emergency room and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. After the fourth visit to the emergency room, they finally said, we think you're having anxiety attacks. And I had no idea what that was. And I just remember um, the anxiety attacks getting so bad that it sent me into depression because now I'm starting to believe um, that this is how I'm going to always be. Of course, when you're down, the enemy gets a foothold and he begins to start to tell you lies. You're going to end up just like your brother. Um, You're not going to make it out of this. And so I started to believe it. I really started to believe, oh my goodness, I'm going to end up just like my brother. Wow. This is what he was going through. And so I remember getting on the phone and uh, calling one, Googling um, a phone number and just saying, okay, let me see if I can find someone to help me. I called the first number. They couldn't help me. I called the second number. They said to call this number. By the time I got to the fifth number, I was in tears. I remember sliding down the wall, sitting on the floor, and I was in tears. And the lady got on the phone and I said, I need you to help me. Like, nobody will help me. I need you to help me. And I was just crying. And she was asking me what was going on. And I said, I need to go to the hospital. I need somebody to help me because I I feel like I'm dying. And so I remember her saying, okay, we have a bed for you at this hospital. Here's the address. Can you get here? So I called one of my friends, told her I need to go to the hospital. She met me down there. So I ended up checking myself into a psych hospital for four days. And that's where my journey with uh, depression and anxiety kind of hit its its highest point. Okay, so I know that we can backtrack just a little bit because I know you mm-hmm. just told your story. So I want you to define depression in your words because for me, and I'm glad you called me out on this, because for me, um, I recognize it as just being sad. Because I know I went through a time, you were like, no, you went through a period or a form of depression. Yes. So I want to really call it as it is, like you told me. So in, to help someone else better understand it, what are you, what's the way that you can define depression? Absolutely. So when I got out of the hospital and I started, God started working on me and giving me this vision for this Live in Light project to work on, to start helping other people get through depression and anxiety, I was filming um, kind of a promo video and I had four people in the video and I, one of the girls that was filming, I said, okay, now I need you to tell us on camera how depression has affected you. And she said, oh no, 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 no. I don't want to say that I'm depressed. I'm not, I'm not depressed. I'm not dealing with depression. And I said, and this particular person I knew, I knew her and I knew her story and I knew the things that she had called me and told me. And I knew, I said, she has been dealing with depression. Why doesn't she want to say it? And so she refused to say the word depression on camera. And later on, I had a conversation with her one-on-one and it dawned on me that her and like you and a lot of other people had no idea that there was a difference between clinical depression and depression. And so being depressed 
you can just be in a very sad state. You can probably not want to get out of bed for maybe a day. You're, you know, you really don't want to be bothered. You're kind of downcast. Your mood is not really that good. And it may only last for a couple of days, maybe a week. That is depression, feeling extremely sad. Clinical depression um, is something that is very debilitating. And so they call it um, depressive disorder. When you go to like a psychiatrist, they will say that it's a massive depressive disorder. So if you are clinically depressed, that means that it is debilitating. You're no longer able to do the things that you normally do. You can't go to work. Um, You're not around people. You're isolated. You're not eating. Um, You're not sleeping. So there's a lot of um, components that go into being clinically depressed to where you're having suicidal thoughts. Um, Anxiety usually starts to kick in with that as well. So if you have been in a state of just being sad, really, really sad, if you've lost a loved one, if you've broke up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, if you've lost your job, most of the time you have experienced some form of depression. Most every American has experienced some form of depression. It just may not be clinical depression. Um, I think with this generation, the problem is the stigma that has been put on the words mental illness and depression makes it so bad. Like we think mental illness, we think someone that's on the sidewalk, that's homeless, that's talking to themselves. And that's the vision that we have. You're not looking at all these celebrities that have committed suicide and have died um, based on their level of depression, they didn't look like depression. Depression looks like me. Depression can look like anybody, any one of your neighbors. Um, you have, what was the uh, actor's name? The comedian, Robin Williams. He okay. was, he was making people laugh his whole life and inside he was dying. And so depression doesn't have a face. <laughs> it looks like everybody. And so that's the problem especially with young people, they don't want to label it as what it is. The first step to being able to even overcome this is being able to be honest with yourself about what you're really going through. Okay, well, what about anxiety? Anxiety is is a beast. Um, I was talking to a therapist when I'm doing my research, and they said that the number one mental illness in 2018 right now today is anxiety. Everybody has some form of anxiety. Um, anxiety is, is really crazy because it can, it really kind of rears its head as a physical problem. You can not be sleeping. You can have numbness and tingling in your limbs. Um, you can feel like you're having a heart attack where you're having pain in your chest, pain in your back. So it can go from being mild to you're just having like, you know, uh, insomnia where you're not sleeping all the way up to severe where you actually have to be hospitalized for it, which was what was happening to me um, back in April when I got hospitalized. It was I would leave the house and I would get in the car and my heart would just start beating really, really fast. My limbs would get tingly and numb and I would feel like I'm having a heart attack. And so um, a lot of times people will think that they're sick. Oh, like I'm sick. I have a stomach ache. Something to, something's weird. Something's off. And they'll get to the hospital and realize all of your vitals are good. Um, all of your numbers and everything are good. It's really just anxiety. I'm so glad that you just confirmed that because I definitely have had a hard time with, I wouldn't say saying it. I would say I mostly had a hard time with actually making sure that that is what I'm dealing with. 
because I've definitely dealt with anxiety and it was really bad at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was hard for me to say, oh, this is what I'm dealing with. Like I was on Google and everything to make sure that, okay, this is what I'm dealing with before I go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so how did you manage it? Because I already told my story about it, but I know your way is definitely more transparent than mine and really good. So how did you manage depression and anxiety or manage to come out of it? So for me, you know, I've always been a fighter. Um, when I was at the hospital, I, one, I'm just going to be really, really um, direct God. If I didn't have a relationship with God, I wouldn't have been able to get through it. And that's just point blank period. And I don't, and I know it's going to be different for everybody, but for me personally, if I did not have the relationship that I have with God, it would have went a completely different way because my faith is what gave me hope to really push through and do the work. So when I was in the hospital, God gave me a sense of peace. And I realized when I was there that this is just another part of my story. And when I get out, I'm going to be able to use this for something because God doesn't waste pain. Any amount of pain that you have is not necessarily for you. It could be for someone else. And so I realized that maybe I'm not going through this for me. Maybe I'm going through this for someone else. And that's really what happened. When I got out, I said, now I can see firsthand what depression and anxiety looks like. I had no idea what it was before. Even when my brother was going through it, I could not pinpoint exactly what it was. Now I know what it is. And there were people that were in the psych hospital with me that were talking to themselves, that were having to be restrained. And so I started to have a higher level of empathy for people that were struggling with a a mental illness. And when I got out, my goal was like, okay, I want to learn how to kill this thing. Like I turned into a football coach. I'm like, I'm going to study my opponent being depression, being the enemy. And I want to learn how to kill it. I want to learn how to beat it. I don't want this to be the end of me. And so I was really, the first part of it is being transparent and being honest. I had to let my friends and family know this is what's happening to me because community is the only way that you're going to heal. People have to hold you accountable and people have to know that you're hurting. If you don't tell anyone and you don't make it clear and plain of what you're going through, you're really not going to be able to get the help that you need. So I was really honest with my friends and family and let them know, you know, I was in the hospital. This is what's going on with me. So anytime I kind of went MIA, for a couple of days, or they didn't hear from me, they would check on me. They're really adamant about, okay, we know she's dealing with this. They would check on me. So when I got out, um, I knew I knew I didn't want to take any medication. So I was like, I'm not taking any medication. Um, I'm not going to let this thing beat me. I'm going to start researching. So I started working with researchers, um, psychiatrists, therapists, doctors, pastors, interviewing. I interviewed um, suicide attempt survivors. Um, I interviewed pastors about you know, asking them direct questions. If someone came to you saying they were struggling with depression, what are the five steps that you would tell them to take besides prayer? I wanted to know who had what game plan. And I started to research nutrition. I started to research um, genetics and just really started to compile a bunch of research and evidence together. I've always been an evidence and facts-based person. Even when I was younger, even with religion, I ask questions because I want to know. I want to know if what you're telling me is true. I want to know if it works. I'm not just going to take you for face value. Mm -hmm. So I started researching and I put together the Live and Light um, luncheon 
it was um, a luncheon where I spoke and talked about my story, but also talked about the six areas of lifestyle that you can change to get rid of depression and anxiety. So after all my research and after all the interviews, those were the six areas of lifestyle that we came up with that actually worked. And I tested it on myself, obviously. And I have been able to get rid of depression and anxiety with no medication. Now, this is specific to depression and anxiety. If there is a deeper level of mental illness, if it's like bipolarism, manic depressant, something like that, that's not what I'm speaking to. This is specifically for um, depression and anxiety. I'm not telling people like, oh, yeah, throw your pills away. Don't talk to your doctor. Yeah. I'm just saying that this is um, the six areas of lifestyle that I went over to be able to get rid of depression and anxiety from my life. So the first step for me was being transparent and honest and making sure I had a good community around me. Um, one of the major things that I realized from the research was food, how food played a major, major, major part in depression and anxiety. And this is something that I actually talked to therapists and psychiatrists about that they didn't know. So I was blown away um, by this research because you have psychiatrists that are writing prescriptions after talking to you for maybe three minutes. Yes. I went in and saw a psychiatrist for three minutes. He said, oh, you know, this is what you're dealing with. And we're going to write you a prescription for this. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to take that. Um, they don't know who you are. They don't really ask any in-depth questions. They just kind of go based on how you feel. And of course, I felt sad at the time. So yes, I'm depressed because <laughs> I'm sad. But they didn't really ask any in-depth questions to try and understand what my lifestyle was. And so one of the major elements of lifestyle was the omega-3s and the omega-6 fatty acids in the brain. So the brain is made up of 60% fat. So it can swell. And our food, back in the day, back in our ancestors were hunter-gatherers. They ate meat. They ate vegetables. They ate fruit. But they had a one-to-one ratio of omega-6s and omega-3s. Omega-3s is what kind of helps you keep the brain in balance with your serotonin and dopamine levels. Omega-6s is what causes inflammation. Our bodies need inflammation. When you get a splinter in your finger and it swells up, it is the inflammation around it is trying to fight that splinter to get it out. So inflammation actually will save you. But when you have an influx of inflammation, that's the reason why you have so many like illnesses and depression, the brain actually swells. So when you're looking at meat, for instance, our meat now is grain fed. Our cows are grain fed, our pigs are grain fed, our fish are grain fed. Omega-6s are found in grains and wheat. Omega-3s are found in leafy greens and algae in the ocean. So if you have cows, pigs that are eating um, grass and grain, I mean grass and leaves, you're good. If you have fish that are eating the algae from the ocean, you're good. They're going to have a balance of omega-3s in them. You're going to get omega-3s from that. But because they're grain-fed, now we're getting an influx of omega-6s in our diet. If you add in the fast food and things like that, it's just making our bodies inflamed. So now you're looking at our society where it's like so many different illnesses. You're seeing cancer is higher at a higher rate now. You're seeing depression is at a higher rate now but it's because our food has changed dramatically. So they did a research study. They did an eight-week research study. They gave half the people a high-grade omega-3 supplement. 
they gave the other half of people their antidepressant medication. The people on the omega-3 supplement did 75% better than the people on antidepressants. When we also looked at the research, we saw that antidepressants are on a, on a skyrocket. Right now, there's more antidepressants being given than ever before, but the level of depression in our society has not gone down. So what does that tell you? That we're giving more meds, but nobody's being healed. Yes. So, and then when you look at the antidepressants, they actually have side effects of more depression or suicide thoughts. So you're essentially almost a guinea pig. You try one medication. If it doesn't work, you try another one. And then if you do get on a medication, you're dependent on that medication forever. You don't really actually change your lifestyle at all. You're just now dependent on a medication. There's a couple of different, there's six areas of lifestyle that we studied and came up with. The two major ones was food. And the last major one is social connection. The other four, I have a um, book that's coming out, study guide that I actually created for churches, but now I've decided that I'm going to make it available to pretty much everybody. Um, I created it for churches as a small group study guide because I felt like it will build community. We have to be able to hold each other accountable and love on one another. So I feel like if you're in a group, even if it's just one other person and you guys can go through the studies together ask each other some tough questions. There's going to be some surveys in there so you can see if you're dealing with depression, how far in depression you are. If you're clinically depressed or just sad, there's going to be a lot of different like surveys and tests and things in there that you can take as well as information, guides. It's, it's going to be really good. Um, so if you want to know all six areas of lifestyle in depth, that is going to be on a link on my profile coming up next week. Um, but the ma- the other major area of lifestyle is social connection um who you are connected with is super important to your healing god created us for community when he said that it's not good for man to be alone he meant it um we help one another heal by telling our stories um i think pain recognizes pain when you see somebody else that has dealt with the same pain as you you automatically have a level of connection with that person and so i really feel like um being able to be connected to really good people in your circle that check on you, that are there for you, um, praying for you, that hold you accountable for your actions and the way that you're living, I think is really important to to making sure that you heal from depression and anxiety. Okay, so I know that we live in a fast society generation where things no one really likes to work for anything um we like to get things fast if it doesn't get done quick it's not getting done at all so I want to know how important was the work for you like how important was actually doing the work towards your healing man so important when I when I when I realized when I started to really sit down and analyze what was going on it took me six phone calls to Uh, finally get help. If I was on the verge of committing suicide, what if I would have stopped that phone call number three? When I got into the psych hospital and I started to pay attention to um, how the psych hospital was ran, everything was counter um, counterproductive to people healing. When I got out of the psych hospital, the doctors and the psychiatrists were counterproductive to me healing. I realized that me healing was going to take me doing the work that nobody else was going to be able to do the work for me. 
the doctors, the pills, the phone calls, none of it was going to be able to heal me. I was going to have to do the work. And so once I realized that, I then started to realize from being in the psych hospital, looking at the other people that were there, I prayed with a couple of the girls that were there and I heard their stories. I realized that my story was going to help other people heal. And I always wondered if humans understood who was assigned to them, would they do the work? So Moesha, for instance, if you knew that you, you were assigned five girls and their lives were dependent upon you walking in your purpose, would you do it? Oh my God. Now, as in Moesha today, yes. But Moesha yes. back then, I probably would have thought about it a little more. It's, it's if you had five little girls lined up in front of you and they are all like six years old and someone came out and said, if you don't do the work in your life and walk in purpose, all five of these six-year-olds are going to die. It would be very difficult for a human to say, okay, just go ahead and let them die. Yeah, definitely. But that's really where we're at right now. That's really where we're at right now. Because God assigns certain people to us. Our pain is assigned to certain people for a reason. And so because I was able to be resilient enough to go through so much pain, God has assigned more people to me. And so when I realized that I have an assignment on my life that's not just dependent upon my life, but the people that are behind me, in front of me, on the side of me, I don't know what little girl is going to die if I don't walk in purpose with this story. I'm so if glad I, you said that. That's so good. Yeah, and I'm and I'm telling you, if more people thought like that, you would be more inclined to do the work because you it's a selfish mentality to think, well, I don't care if I die. But what about your little sister? What about your little brother? What about your mom? Because one of the people that was working with me on this Live and Light project. He um, was struggling with fear and depression and anxiety. And it was his family was waiting on him to be the one to speak up and say something. And now their, their, their relationship is amazing because they were literally waiting on him, the mom, his brother. So you really don't know who is assigned to you. And for me, that was important. That was enough for me to do the work. And so I was like, I'm not going to waste this pain I'm going to do the work. I want to not only heal myself, but I want to be able to take this pain and help other people use it for purpose as well. So that's why it was important to me. And I think if other people look at their pain as a privilege, God brought you through this. It was a privilege. If you're going to suffer, suffer well. Yes. Suffer for the person behind you. And so I definitely was like, no, I'm not letting the enemy come in and take everything that I work for. No. And I don't know who, who needs the story. So for me, it was just really important. It, it wasn't really about me at that point. My brother had already lost his life. Um, I said, how many more people, young people, he was only 26 years old when he took his life. How many more young people um, that have gifts and talents are going to take their lives? And even something as controversial as the school shootings. Um, some of these school shootings, you're looking at uh, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. And you're hearing phone calls of them asking for help and nobody helps them and they go in and they shoot a school or they take their own life. And it's like me being able to witness things firsthand 
was really important to me. And I believe God brought me through that for a reason. Like I'm going to show you behind the scene footage. So you know exactly what to take to, to the young people because now you have experienced it before. I wouldn't have been able to relate to it because I had never experienced it. I just watched my brother go through it, but because I personally experienced it, I understood that you have young people that are sick and hurting and they have nowhere to go. If someone came to you and said, Moesha, I'm struggling with depression and anxiety really, really bad. Sometimes I have suicidal thoughts. Who should I call? We, we really don't have a game plan for when one of your loved ones comes and tells you that. Yes. There really is no, oh, oh, you're struggling with depression. Okay, let me pray for you. Okay. And then what? Yes. And then like, what are the steps do I need to take next? Right. And then what, what do I, what should I, what do you think I should do? You're my friend. I've known you for 10 years. Um, I'm struggling with depression. I can't get out of bed. I don't want to be around. What do, what do I do? When, when someone comes to you and asks you that, you got to have tools. And I, and, and I'm the reason why I'm so adamant about this is because I wasn't able to help my brother because I had no idea how to. And that's okay. There's a lot of people who have lost a loved one to suicide and they feel like they didn't do enough. And I want them to know that that's okay. Because most times people didn't know what to do. You love them the best that you could, but you really don't know what to do. And so the reason why I created this study guide, the reason why I'm okay with telling my story is because I want people to have the tools that they need when someone comes to them and says, I am struggling. I want them to be able to pull out maybe the... um the mental health continuum chart that's inside the book. And it goes from green to yellow to orange to red. And it lets you know what area you're in or if you need to go seek help. I want, I put numbers in there of really, really good therapists that people can go see for cheap or free. Um, I know that I tested out calling the suicide hotline and they weren't helpful. Um, So I put the correct numbers in there for you to actually be able to get help. Because again, it took me six phone calls for me to get help. But if I had given up on number three, what would have happened? And so there are a lot of people that will call and try and get help and they don't get it. And then they end up shooting up a school, killing themselves. And I'm not justifying the killings because everyone, everyone loses when somebody dies. However, no one's really asking the question of why a 15 year old would make the choice to want to take their life and someone else's life at the age of 15. And you know what? I'm glad you said that because the other day I seen a post about a nine-year-old who took her life. Right. And I'm thinking like, what would make her do that? Like, this is the question I'm asking. People share it and they're commenting, uh, you know, RIP and all of that. But I'm asking the question, what really made her do that? Exactly. Exactly. What, What are we struggling with so much that would make somebody do that we are in a society right now you know america is breeding um depression and anxiety because we're in a society where we have to feel like we have to be first we have to be good at everything social media causes you to compare your life to other people um the bullying is at an all-time high we have lots of tv shows where people are getting in fights yelling and cussing at each other they have the highest ratings ever so we're glorifying bullying we're eating horrific food we're in a, in a society where we have to make a lot of money in order to be substantial anywhere. So we're working our behinds off for that. We're really breeding a culture of depression and anxiety. There's so many college students that tell me they're depressed. They have anxiety. They're drinking coffee 600 times a day. 
because the level of pressure that is put on young people right now to be perfect and do perfect things and to have the most, it's really, I mean, I couldn't even imagine being a teenager right now. And so community is what's really going to break it down. When I realized that even the church doesn't have the answer, when I asked the pastor, if someone came to you and said, um, you know, they were struggling with depression, you know, the same question I asked you, what would you tell them? A lot of the pastors were like, we're not really equipped to handle those questions. And so that was the main reason why I created the six week study guide, because I mean, if you go to church and that's kind of supposed to be a place of healing and you tell a pastor I'm struggling with depression, they say, we can't help you. We have a problem. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the pastors weren't really equipped to deal with hard questions. I mean, you have some people that are coming saying, um, I was raped or I was molested and now I'm dealing with the aftermath of that. I had buried it for so long. Now what do I do? And prayer only goes so far. Prayer without works is dead. And I think that's what God meant when he said that is prayer only goes so far. The rest is up to the community. Mm-hmm. And so the study guide is, is built for you to be able to sit in a circle, break bread with the people that you love, look each other in the eye and say, how are you really? How are you really doing? This question right here asks us, um, are we dealing with any um, unhealed wounds? Is there any unhealed wounds from your childhood that you may be dealing with? Did you lose a loved one in the past, you know, six months to a year? How do you feel about it? Like asking real raw questions, answering them honestly, and then taking the steps to learn how to heal properly. So that way, depression, anxiety can't just run rampant, along with the other six areas of lifestyle that are in there. It's really a recipe for you to be able to heal and help other heals without medication. Um, I'm not really a, a fan of medication. There are some people that need it, and I'm not against it because I'm not a doctor. Um, but this is just really so you can start to help each other to properly heal. Okay, so as we close, first of all, I want you to be able to um, let everyone know anything else that you think they should know. Um, and then I want you to tell us, what do you hope that everyone or somebody especially can take from the uh, booklet? So for me, I just want really the basis for me, the, the goal for me is community accountability and healing yes that 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 that's pretty much it for me um building a community of people that that hold each other accountable and say how are you today um i want to meet with you face to face i want to look at you in your eye i'm not going to text you all day but i want to be there i want to be present i want to be mindful so a community of people that are accountable that breeds healing that is the goal and my mission in life for everything. That's what you're going to get from the book. Um, I'm also coming out with a book next year. That's going to be my personal testimony called Pain Not Wasted on how I turn pain into purpose. I'm so um, ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about that because I'll finally be telling my full story. Um, and then this uh, six-week study guide is called the Live in Light um, Study Guide. And so that's going to be up. Um, on my link soon so if you're not following me on instagram it's nausea underscore alessi um and that link you'll be able to to kind of get everything from there the website will be up there and you'll be able to to get this six-week study guide if churches want it 
if families want it, whomever is available, it's going to be available to, to everybody. Um, and so that's really my goal is to make sure um, we're building a community of people that are just trying to help one another heal. Okay, before we close again, I want you to spell out your Instagram handle because I mean, I'll okay. put it in there, but everybody's going to be like pausing and trying to spell it. So, Okay, so Instagram handle is Naja, N-A-J-A-H underscore <laughs> E-L-E S as in Sam, S as in Sam, I-E. So Naja underscore Alessi. Okay. Do you have anything else? Because I'm, I'm listening. I'm learn. I've learned so much just from hearing you speak the other day. We were on the phone, and I was just, I, I feel like it opened so many other ears that I don't have. I don't even know how that even sounds, but it just brought a light to the situation because I was like, yes, this is, this is it. Because I don't know about anybody else, but I am so tired of scrolling down my Facebook. Or Instagram and people are angry they're sad they're depressed they have anxiety and if you don't know or not a lot of people are screaming out on social media about it absolutely so absolutely. they don't yeah like they don't have any um other obstacle and then people just continue to scroll past them and no one really takes it as serious until it's them right so yeah their loved ones right my biggest piece my biggest thing that I want people to know is one you have to be able to, to be ready to do the work. It's hard work being honest with yourself about who you are and where you're at. And a lot of the people that are honest with themselves that are saying, I am depressed, I am at the point where I commit suicide, they want to know where they can go. And that's the part that is the most sad to me because depending on where you are, there may not be anywhere to go. It's going to have to come from you. So I'm just going to quickly run down the six areas of lifestyle so you guys can kind of research this um, if you want to, even on your own. I feel like part of doing the work is we are in the era of Google. You can look up anything you want to look up. Yes. You can figure out anything you want to figure out. And so um, you don't even have to take me at my word. Do the research yourself, too. Um, it's fun. You'll learn a lot about you. Um. But one of the areas, like I said, is the omega-3s and the omega-6s. Go ahead and Google and look up. Pay attention to the food that you're eating. Look at your entire diet. Most of the time, if you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, and I know it sounds like your mom, <laughs> but if you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, especially now in 2018, because our meat is a little bit off, um, you're going to see a lower uh, rate of depression and anxiety. Um, sunlight exposure is a huge one. If you're like me, you're working nine to five, you're in an office all day, you're really indoors all day. When I was growing up, I was outside playing. Getting sunlight exposure is really, really, really important for depression and anxiety. Um, another one is going to be physical exercise. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, exercise. The human body was not really made to be in the gym. Um, even if you're going outside walking, um, if you're lifting, if you're doing anything um, like outdoorsy is perfect. Um, but physical exercise is a, is a big one. Exercise actually changes the human brain. It releases serotonin and dopamine, the exact same elements that antidepressants release. So if you're exercising, you're eating well, you're getting sunlight, those are the three components right there that are really start to see a change in your life. If you're honest about your life, you will see the areas that need work for sure. 
social connection, start to look at your five closest friends. Are they really your friends? Are, do you have a surface relationship or can you go to them and really tell them what's going on with you? Can you have real raw conversations with your friends without them judging you and them loving on you? Really pay attention to your social connections. Engaging activity is another one. Um, people used to have hobbies back in the day. You know, they used to collect stamps or they used to knit or sew. Are you engaging your mind in something that's not social media? And that brings me to another one. If you're experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety, get off of social media for at least a week. I guarantee you, you will start to feel better almost immediately. Social media actually breeds anxiety because what you're on there doing is comparing yourself to other people on a continual basis. It changes the mind. It makes you forget who you are. It makes you not really understand gratitude. Gratitude is a huge component in getting rid of depression and anxiety. When you're grateful for what you have, you forget about what you don't have. Yes. So get off of social media for a week, two weeks if you need to. You'll see an immediate change. So those are just some of the things that you can work on. Um, again, reach out to someone that is close to you. Talk to someone and really tell them what's on your heart. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to do the work. Yeah, we've said that a lot of times. Do the work. Yep. <laughs> do the work because no one's not this no one's not gonna do it for you. It's unfortunate. Um, no one's not gonna do it for you. There are a lot of um facilities out there that that will help. There are some psychiatrists and some doctors that really take their job seriously and they will help. I'm not going to say all psychiatrists, all doctors, all medication, all of it is bad. I'm just saying that if you did the work on your actual personal lifestyle the way you live every day um you will see a dramatic change in depression and anxiety in your life for sure oh wow i had severe anxiety in april i dealt with severe depression and i've been able to get through it with just changing those six areas of lifestyle with zero medication but i was adamant about doing the work also understand that your story is powerful you cannot be pitiful and powerful at the same yes. time. Yes. Oh, my you goodness. Have, your story is powerful. So when you are in the midst of depression, just understand that that depression may not be just for you. It may be for the person behind you. So your story is powerful. Tell it to someone. Tell it to as many people that, that want to hear it. And when you help someone else heal, it also helps you heal. Oh, Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm so excited. I'm excited for the booklet, the six-week course. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, as well as your book. Like, I'm really, really excited. So um, if you guys are not following her already, go ahead and follow her at Naja underscore Elise, correct? Elessi. Uh -huh. Elessi, okay. And yeah, thank you so much. If you don't have anything else, Thank you so much for having me on the yeah. course and do the work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much, Moesha, for having me on. I really appreciate it. I love you, girl. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye, love.
All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really, really hope that this has impacted someone or touched someone in some way to where they are ready to do the work. And I'm just so excited. I really appreciate Naja for inboxing me and sharing her tools and doing the research. And I'm just so grateful. So if you guys are not following her, please go follow her on Instagram at Naji underscore Elysium. Try to make sure I say it correctly. And don't forget to support this podcast podcast so we can continue to make great content for you guys once again we will see you guys or talk to you guys rather next week